From the virtual newsroom of Impact Alpha, this is your Impact Briefing for Friday, November 13th. I'm Brian Walsh. Today, I'm joined by Roundtable regulars, Imogen Rose-Smith and David Bank. Hey, Imogen. Hi, Brian. And hi, David. Hey, Brian. Hey, Imogen. Hey, David. I look forward to discussing with you both the word of the week, transition. But first, here's what you need to know from this week in Impact Investing. There's an impact investing angle to Pfizer's promising COVID vaccine. The Gates Foundation made a $55 million investment last fall in BioNTech, the German company that is Pfizer's partner on the vaccine. The program-related investment, or PRI, from Gates was originally aimed at vaccines and therapies for tuberculosis and HIV. But the race for a COVID vaccine was a chance for BioNTech to show off its messenger RNA vaccine technology. If successful, messenger RNA, or mRNA, could revolutionize vaccines more broadly. BioNTech shares, under $19 a year ago, are now over $100. Gender is material to the COVID recovery. That's according to Criterion Institute's Joy Anderson and Gender Smart's Suzanne Beagle in a guest post on Impact Alpha. The two compiled 10 gender-related indicators, from workforce to infrastructure, that governments can use to design stimulus packages or fund managers can use to find their next deal. Next Tuesday's Agents of Impact call will take up gender-smart investing for sustainable recovery, with the IFC, CDC Group, and some sharp fund managers in Africa and South Asia. Go to impactalpha.com to register. Blended capital transactions fall short, but social bonds are hot. Convergence, the global network for blended finance, reported that last year, 45 deals, totaling $8 billion, used catalytic capital to increase private sector investment in developing economies. The number of deals and total financing were below the average for the last five years. On the other hand, so-called social bond issuances from governments, development banks, and corporations have more than quadrupled this year. S&P Global Ratings said issues of such social bonds totaled $72 billion as of October 2020 and could reach $100 billion for the year. The total sustainable debt market, including green bonds, could jump from $341 billion last year to a new record $500 billion this year. The Biden-Harris transition team released the names of 500 members of its agency review teams, and the list is chock-full of agents of impact. Among them, Bill Bynum of Hope Enterprises, Elizabeth Littlefield of Albright Stonebridge Group, Xavier Briggs, formerly of the Ford Foundation, Florence Chen of Generate Capital, Martha Gimbel of Schmidt Futures, and Dennis Kelleher of Better Markets. Ron Klain, the veteran operative set to become Biden's chief of staff, has most recently been a top executive at Revolution, the venture fund founded by Steve Case. All right, now it's time for our future conversation with Imogen and David. We're going to talk about the presidential transition that is underway, if not yet quite fully acknowledged. David, what are the impact investing implications of this presidential transition? Well, there's kind of this um, pent up demand for action that people have been waiting a very long time for. So there's a lot of kind of frothy talk a lot of it is focused on climate, which we should dig into more deeply, because um, I think that's where the 
contrast between the new administration and the old one might be perhaps the most uh, stark, but there's a lot of other things. There's an ESG uh, direction and, and policy making to be done. There's um, a, a stimulus a stimulus package to be passed, uh, in, including green uh, aspects to it. And and there's, of course, uh, COVID, which is probably the biggest hurdle to get over for any kind of uh, positive impact to ensue. And Imogen, what's your take on all of this? I mean, I <laughs> it's, it's, it's the dawn of a new day. And therefore, you know, I agree with David. Um, for a change. I do think that there is a lot of pent-up demand. I think we've seen a lot of, you know, enthusiasm by the impact investing community. The, the Obama administration was very supportive of the sort of the impact policy agenda, um, in addition to a lot of the sort of issues that we think about under the tent of ESG and impact investing, specifically climate change. Um, but also other factors. And, and obviously, a lot of that was either frozen and or rolled back under the Trump administration, again, the Paris Accord being the most obvious. And some of that is certainly going to change under a Biden administration. You know, he's already said that day one, um, the US will get back into the Paris Climate Agreement. Um, I think where I temper my enthusiasm is twofold. Um, one is, you know, as always, this assumption that somehow impact investing is going to be first and foremost at the front of anyone's agenda, right? I think that there are huge issues that need to be dealt with. You also likely are going to have a, you know, Republican Senate, a Democratic House and a Democrat president. And yeah, there's going to be concerns like COVID, you know, the stimulus package, all of these issues which have implications for impact investing, but aren't necessarily going to afford, although sometimes they will, the impact investing community a seat at the table. And the second issue is, is that I think that there are, particularly on the climate change front, significant domestic concerns and concerns for the Democratic Party and its political future that, you know, need to be addressed. Like, you know, if you look at the electoral map, if you look at what states Biden won or looks like he's won and where he lost states or where he lost ground, you know, it's clear that fracking is a problem and that just saying, oh, we're going to end fracking, which, you know, the right implied that Biden did, and he tried to walk back in the election, is not, it, it's not a winning strategy for Democrats if they want to hold and retain power. So I think it's going to be a lot more complicated than we necessarily wish or hope to, you know, to achieve many of the goals that the impact investing community would like to see see achieved. Can I jump in on that? Just to say, you know, the fracking thing, we wrote quite a bit about it and others did as well, that it ain't the Democrats who are killing fracking. Fracking is too expensive for a world of $40 a barrel oil. It's the oil economy that's killing yeah. fracking. And the problem no, has always been, the problem has always been that, um, you know, that this becomes a kind of, you know, hobby horse for Republicans to beat on Dems about job loss in the fossil fuel industry, but the job possibilities and in fact, the job realities in green energy are much greater. And, you know, 
it seems to me that this messaging problem you talk about is really a, a, a problem of Dems getting across the notion that, you know, the, where the jobs are going to be created is in this green energy transition. Yeah, and they've done a terrible job of that. And part of the reason they've done a terrible job of that is because they haven't necessarily always brought organized labor along with them, right? And that, you know, that they, they might be empirically correct, but they're losing on the message and they're losing on what people believe. And so, you know, Rahm Emanuel turning around and saying, oh, well, everyone's going to have to learn to computer program, again, isn't super helpful, right? And so, and yeah, just because it's not true doesn't mean it's not, you know, deeply believed. I, I agree with that. And the, the, other, the other thing that I wanted to pick up on what you said, which I think is right, is that, in fact, the... Um, you know, the prospect of divided government may be make impact investing have um, even more central role because presumably there's less support for government spending and therefore the private capital pouring in. And it is pouring in on green energy and, and, and climate related things, not just solar, but also, you know, batteries and electric vehicles and charging stations and even, you know, a bunch of high tech agriculture that we've talked about on this show. Um, you know, that the private capital play, which frankly is seen with some, you know, skepticism on the, on the left sometimes um, think, you know, that that's, you know, there's something nefarious about it, but that, that, that could play a role in just kind of moving markets towards, you know, you know, that, that the, the Biden signals could open the markets up and the, and the, and the private capital could flow. It was, it's already clear that we've seen more capital go into impact investing over the past four years, even despite having, a Republican as president. So it's already happening. Well, that's interesting whether that, um, you know, I think there was a lot of rebound effect, right? People wanted to do something. And one way to do something was with their investment dollars. And we, we heard a lot of people, you know, coming around to impact investing as kind of a, I don't know, counter programming in a certain way. <laughs> um, uh, I wonder whether that impetus gets lost and they go back to expecting the government to do everything. Yeah, and I, I do. I do wonder though, too, just on, on the the point about divided government. You know, there, even if the Democrats aren't able to pick up the two Senate seats in the Georgia Senate runoff, uh, th there's a lot that. Uh, President Biden will be able to do through executive order. And, you know, personnel is policy in so many ways. And so as he uh, launches his transition team and, and starts, uh, you know, building out his cabinet, um, th those federal agencies will be able to reverse a lot of the things that the Trump administration did via executive order and via uh, regulatory filings that don't require congressional approval. And so what's your what's your take on um, how much of an enabling environment the Biden administration will provide for uh, the goals and outcomes that uh, impact investors are looking for? Yeah, I mean, I think <laughs> I think that's really important. I think, you know, one of the top things on the wish list is rolling back the new Department of Labor guidance regarding ERISA pension plans and sort of ESG slash impact investing. Um, you know, that that's become a sort of political back, back and forth between different administrations. Um, but, but the idea simply put is that this Department of Labor guidance was putting a check on the ability for pension fiduciaries in particular to invest in ESG investments. And it's sort of widely expected slash hope. And they, they sort of, they rolled out a guidance in the last couple of months that was very aggressive in terms of putting a check on that kind of investing. And it's sort of wide, widely expected and hoped that that guidance will once again be overturned. Um, 
There's, there's a, there, I, I agree with you, Imogen, but with one um, small correction, which is that it wasn't just guidance; it was an actual rule, right. which in in federal policy parlance actually is tougher to turn around, and they have to go through a whole nother rulemaking process with comments and and everything else. So, yeah, yes, they will work on it, no doubt, but it will take longer than I, probably folks hope. No, I, 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 you're right. It's a rule, not a guidance. They did a guidance at the beginning, and then they just did a rule. From what I've heard from talking to people, I don't think it will take much longer because I I think they were so cautious under the Obama administration to change the guidance. I think that they'll be much more strident now in reversing the rule. And I think the, um, I've talked about this before, but the Republican administration, when they went in, they basically had a checklist of things that they wanted to change for the sort of financial policy shops. Um, and they just went through it. And I think that you'll see Democrat and Democrats historically have tended to be a lot more cautious. I think you know they they have to have they have to be concerned that this is only a one term that Biden's only a one term president, right? They don't have the luxury of time. I think, and they've got a lot of problems they need to solve. And apparently, you know, this ERISA guidance is something that they do want to get done. So I'm not like saying it'll happen day one. But I don't think we'll be sitting here four years from now when they want to change it. I agree. There's an additional nuance in that, which is that, as I recall, the Obama level guidance said, in effect, you could take environmental social factors into account as kind of a tiebreaker if the financial returns were effectively equal. Um, so you were allowed to then consider environment, you know, ESG. But the world has moved on in a sense. And now the uh, the activists, I think, are pushing that say, no, actually, environmental and social factors are are material. And that if you're doing your fiduciary duty, you must or you should take them into account. Do you think this might be an example, David, where the, the market is moving ahead of the policy in the sense that in the same way that, you know, fracking and uh, other carbon fuels um, carbon intensive fuels are becoming price co prohibitive just based on market forces, not even government regulations. And the overturning of the ERISA guidance or the, the, the pendulum swinging back on ERISA guidance uh, to incorporate ESG uh, might almost be in some sense unnecessary because the market has already moved on to incorporating ESG considerations into uh, the kind of as the default of so much of the asset management industry decision, decision making. Well, I think I think that's sort of what I meant about pent up demand. Yeah, the market has moved on. I mean, what what makes it frustrating is just to think of where things might have been had we not had four years of kind of obstacles. But as you say, the market has moved on in climate. The market has moved on in ESG. Um, you know, things are much more mature and you know sophisticated and robust now than they were a few years ago. So it really is, you know, from my point of view, uh, sort of I don't know. Uh, you know, go time in some sense, right? A lot of things that that impact investors and sustainable finance has been have been planning. You know, it's time to now roll all that out. And I think you're absolutely right, Imogen. Personnel is policy, or maybe that was you, Brian. Personnel is policy. I'll take it. I agree with it. <laughs> There's a lot of impact folks in these, you know, transition advance teams that are that are stocking the federal uh, the federal agencies and. Um, you know, it's not going to be, again, it's not impact investing, qua impact investing. It's just solutions, you know, innovation, practical approaches. 
And I, I do I do think, kind of building on your point from earlier, David, I do think there is something to be said for Washington as not having been the epicenter of impact for four years. I think, you know, talking less about policy and more about doing arguably has been, you know, of benefit to the impact investing, impact investing community. On the other hand, you know, since Trump was a one-term president, it means that people are still around. They haven't all left D.C. It's not been like eight years since they last had a government job. And so some, some stuff that was already underway or some people who are already working on these issues, yes, are on the transition committee. And, you know, there's more of, you know, just despite the ongoing obstruction from the outgoing administration and recognizing, you know, we don't know what's coming down the pipeline, it should be more of a plug in and play to sort of move some of these agendas agendas forward early on. Well, that seems like a good place to leave it. Again, our word of the week is transition. Thank you, Imogen. And thank you, David. Thank you, thank Brian. Thank you both. And both of you. That's going to do it for your Impact Briefing this week. You can read all of these stories at impactalpha.com. Subscribers receive the brief and full access to Impact Alpha, including subscriber-only Agent of Impact calls. Go to impactalpha.com slash subscribe and use code briefing100 for $100 off. Thank you for listening. And thanks to David, Imogen, and our producer, Isaac Silk. I'm Brian Walsh, head of impact for the fintech company, Liquidnet. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please take a second to rate and review the show right now. It really helps us reach more listeners. And make sure you check back for next week's Impact Briefing. Until then, take care and be well.